bunch of feeding back. I'll just speak loud so you can turn it down. How about that? Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not the senior pastor, but I get the opportunity to preach uh, to you this morning. And we are continuing our series through Galatians. And so if you have your Bible, please open your Bible uh, to Galatians. If you don't have one, there's likely one under the seat in front of you or right underneath you. And uh, we will be there shortly. And Lord willing, we will finish chapter 1 this morning. But just to jog your memory, last time Esteban preached, he preached on 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12, and he preached how the gospel that Paul had received was not man's gospel, but it was received by him and revealed to him through Jesus Christ. It was his gospel. And you'll see that in verse 11 and 12 if you glance at that quickly. And then for a couple weeks we talked about what it meant, when, what it means when Paul says that he was set apart before he was born and called by his grace, as he says a few verses later. And he talked about what does it mean to be set apart before he was born? What does it mean? To be chosen before the foundations of the world. What does it mean when Paul says that we were predestined? And so we looked at that for a couple weeks. And now we're going back to verse 13. And we're going to walk through the rest of the chapter. But first, please pray with me as we start. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word and we ask that you would instruct us and that you would teach us this morning as we look and peer into your word. Father, give my feeble efforts life. Give us hearts that long and really thirst and want to know what you say and want to apply what you say and what you instruct and command to our lives. And we ask for your help. We ask that the Spirit would help us this morning, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. We are thankful that you hear us, and that you listen to us, and that you love to answer the prayers of your children. Amen. So remember, Paul taught the Galatians the gospel, okay? So just to recap where we're at in Galatians. He taught the Galatians the gospel. He was a missionary. He went there. And he trained them. And he's since left Galatia. And some other people have come in. And they've been doing a couple things. They've been saying that you need Jesus, yes, sure. But you need Jesus and you need the law. You need to be circumcised. Okay, so Paul was kind of right. Maybe. But you also need the law. We don't get rid of the law. We, you need to be circumcised. Okay? So they've been adding to the gospel, teaching them a different form of gospel, if you remember earlier in the chapter, even though there's only one. But they've also been attacking Paul and his character and saying he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's not qualified to be talking about what he's talking about. You can't really trust this guy. 
He's made up this gospel. And so Paul begins to give his defense. That's what he starts in verse 11. And he continues it through into chapter 2. He's giving a defense of his ministry, and he's giving a defense of the gospel. And so my first point this morning, Christians, is that you shouldn't be ashamed of somebody giving a defense for their ministry. There's a certain type of Christian who thinks that a truly godly person would never defend or stand up for themselves. They won't talk back to critics, critics ever. They just they keep being godly, they ignore the haters, and they leave that up to God. But that is not the avenue that Paul takes here. And so you at least have to have room, Christian, that a Christian man or church or ministry in some circumstances may defend themselves. Sometimes as a man, you may need to speak up and give a defense in certain circumstances. Sometimes you shouldn't speak up and you should stay silent. How do you know when? Well, the answer is always going to be it depends. Proverbs 26, verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You've probably heard that verse. Answer a fool according to his folly in his own eyes. That's verse 5. But, but literally right before it, in verse 4, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself. And those aren't contradictory verses. The point is that the circumstance will decide that. You need discernment. Discernment is needed in order to know when you're supposed to give an answer and when you shouldn't. But the point I'm trying to make right now this morning for you is for some of you, some of you think that the godlier man is the man who never speaks up or defends himself. And that's not true. Don't think because a person just never gives an answer that he is automatically more godly than the person who you see maybe giving a defense. It might be that the person who's silent is using bad discernment and should be giving a defense or should be answering the fool. And so it's important that you give grace when you see others or you read others or you hear about somebody giving an offense to critics or fools. One way is automatically not just godlier than the other. Some people pride themselves on they never get into any controversies. Never argue. Never argue on Facebook. Never argue with my friends. And they pride themselves that they don't get into any of these arguments. but you shouldn't pride yourself on that. Because sometimes you do need to get into arguments. I'm not saying everybody needs to use social media the same way. That's not my point. My point is that sometimes you do answer a fool, and sometimes you don't. And we need to stop the notion that the person who just stays silent the whole time is automatically godlier because it's just not the case. Paul is arguing right here. He's making arguments... He's disagreeing with his critics, and he's proving his critics wrong as he addresses the Galatians. He's actually, he continues his argument, as I said, into the next chapter, so we're not even get through his whole argument today. But he's doing it not, just, not because he's just trying to, he doesn't like people making fun of him, and he just wants to prove them wrong. He doesn't care about that. 
He's doing it because he loves the Galatians, and he doesn't want them to be led astray. Okay? So we don't get into arguments just for argument's sake, just because you want to be brash and annoying and prove that you're superior intellectually. That's foolishness. But sometimes, for the sake of others, you argue. He then says, right, because he doesn't want the Galatians to believe this false gospel. He knows what's at stake. And if he doesn't give a defense, he knows that these Galatians are going to be tempted to start believing these other people and they're going to go down the road that's going to ruin their faith. He then says that his gospel is from Jesus himself and not from man. And then in verse 13, he continues his defense and he says, in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So Paul is reminding them that he had this high standing as a Jew. He was growing in popularity and notoriety far more than the people his age. He was one of the most zealous Jews around. He was doing everything he could do to stomp out Christianity. He had the praise of men, the praise of his peers. And he says, if I was wanting the approval of men, right? he says this earlier in the chapter, if I was wanting the approval of men, well, he wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Because what he's done has costed him significantly. The Jews now hate him. Everywhere he goes, he's being persecuted. He's lost his high standing. So you read Acts and you see how hard his life is. And then now even some in the church are starting to think that maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe his gospel is incomplete. And some of the people that he's loved and given his life to are starting to desert him. And so he's trying to win them back and help them from not going astray. Paul has given up a lot because he loves Jesus and he loves these people. He's not trying to work to win the approval of man. And Christian, you need to remember that too. The Christian life will not win you the approval of man. If you are faithful, you will be lied about. You will be mocked. You will be made fun of. People will say mean things to your children. They will say mean things to your wife. They will say mean things about your children, about your wife. They will make terrible jokes about you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've lived this. Maybe you grew up in a town where you could be the respectable Christian in the town or in your school, but it seems at least if our trajectory continues in our culture that those days will be behind us in the next couple decades. And you need to be ready for it. Being a Christian is not a comfy ride through life. If you're wanting that, this is not the place for you. Jesus is not the place for you. Jesus tells us that we will be hated. And so you shouldn't be surprised by it. It's not going to be that way for our children. And they need to see their parents living out their faith, knowing that the world hates them, and teaching them not to be surprised by this when it comes up. Parents, are you 
helping your children understand this. When God calls a man, he calls him to come and, bid and, to come and die. Excuse me. Paul's former life died. The comforts died with it. And if you're not feeling the pressure from the world with regards to your faith, it's either coming to you and your household soon, or maybe you're living your life so quietly as a Christian that nobody would even know you're a Christian. And I won't comment too much on that, but I just want to say that we will likely be facing more hostility in the days to come, and you need to prepare yourself and your family for that. Be faithful. Teach your children what it looks like to be faithful and loving to your enemies. Paul was more concerned about pleasing and obeying God than pleasing man, and that's why he's a servant of Christ. And he continues in verse 15, But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach, among, preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now follow me. Go back to verse 15. But when he, when God who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Okay? God set him apart God called Paul by his grace, revealed Jesus to him, in order that he might preach Jesus to the Gentiles. God didn't reveal Jesus, didn't reveal the gospel to Paul so that he could live and sit quietly with his new knowledge and just enjoy this and be comfy. No, instead God, Paul, God saved Paul in order that Paul might preach him among the Gentiles. God's saving of Paul had a purpose, and God's saving of you has a purpose. You have purposes that God has created you for. You might not be called to go be a preacher and a missionary like Paul, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose in saving you. In Titus 2, it's one of my favorite passages, in verse 11 it says, For, by grace, for, the, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness, so this is what God's grace does, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and the Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself before us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. <coughs> The grace of God appeared to you, it saved you, it's training you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. That's the effect of what your salvation is having on you. You may not think it's working fast enough, but that's what's going on in every Christian. God is purifying for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Okay? He's not purifying for himself people that will sit comfy on Sunday mornings, and listen to a sermon once a week. That's not all God has for you. God has good works for you to do. So your mothering isn't just mothering because biology made you a mother and now you have to keep these kids alive. 
You're a mother because part of the good works that God has created, for, created you for and saved you for is so you can teach these children to love and honor God. And you may not feel like you're doing a good job at it some days, but this is what God has created you for, and he will help you. Men, your jobs are not just jobs so that you can get paid. I understand. I'm not saying you need to have the, your job needs to be the best thing, the most fun thing that you do in your life. You love selling insurance. That's what you would do in your free time but you're just doing it for your job. I'm not saying that that has to be the case. Excuse me. But he's given you these skills. He's given you this purpose. He's placed you in the job that he has because he has good works for you to do. You have co-workers to love, a boss to serve. Your church isn't just a place that you attend service on Sunday. This is why I try to get college kids, college kids here. Church is not just a place to come on Sunday morning. Church is a body, a family that you devote yourself to, that you get to know that you love and you serve, and you give yourself for. There's good works that God has for you in his church. Don't ever say or think that God doesn't have a purpose for you. Some of you struggle feeling like everything you're doing is meaningless, don't let Satan lie to you about that. God has saved you for good works. Ask him to reveal those to you. Ask him to remind you of those things. If you find that your life is dry and it feels purposeless, that's not how God intends for you to live. That's not how God intended Paul to live. Paul's defense is that he heard the gospel from Jesus himself. He didn't go to consult with the apostles first, right? But instead he preached Christ first. So he hears, he meets Jesus, he's converted, and he says that he didn't go consult with the apostles at first. Now that sounds like a weird defense, if you think about it. Remember, his defense goes into chapter 2, and so I think when we put all this together in the coming weeks, it'll make sense. But you would think that it would kind of be the opposite if you were trying to defend yourself. You would think that a stronger case would be is like, I heard the gospel, I was converted, and then I went to Jerusalem, and I talked to all the apostles, and made sure that they gave me their stamp of approval, they gave me their stamp of approval, and so now you can trust me. Like, you would think that would be a better defense if you were writing your defense. But that's not what Paul says, and that's not how Paul defends his ministry. In fact, he didn't go see anybody at first. And then eventually he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to see Cephas. The only other person he saw was James. And then he doesn't go and talk to them until 14 years later. As you'll see in the first verse of chapter 2. But that'll be for next time. For right now, look at 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria, Cecilia, and I was still unknown in, the person, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us 
is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. We'll combine and we'll finish Paul's argument next time. But I want to make a few comments about the end of this chapter. Paul says in verse 23 that they were only hearing, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. It's worth mentioning again that Paul was a great sinner who was doing terrible things to Christians. When he was against them, he was giving his approval at their stonings. He was trying to arrest them and rip families apart. He was seeking to take Christians into custody and throw them into jail and show them to the high priest. Christians were afraid of Paul. Remember, even after Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, Ananias was told about Paul. He was told about Paul from the Lord. He was supposed to go to him. But what does Ananias say? Remember? He said, Lord, I've heard about this man. I've heard how much evil he's done. He's hurt lots of saints in Jerusalem. He has the authority from the chief priest to bind us and to bind anybody who calls on your name. So in other words, Ananias is told to go meet Paul, and Ananias is saying, uh, God, are you sure about this? This guy is persecuting us. He's going to throw us in jail. Are you sure you're wanting me to go to that guy? The guy who gave his approval at the stoning of Stephen. Am I going to end up like Stephen? Are you sure? And even after Paul is converted, Paul is proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He's teaching them and he's proving to them He's proving to them from the Old Testament that Jesus is actually the Messiah and everything had to happen to Jesus. It was all prophesied about and it had to happen. And people were amazed by Paul, but they were also skeptical. They were worried that he was tricking them so that he could gain their confidence only to bind them up and arrest them and bring them to the chief priests. Okay, so Paul, it's a pretty checkered past. He did some pretty terrible things, and it took people a while to even trust him at all. And some of you are younger Christians. There are a decent number of you who have been walking with the Lord for a shorter amount of time than maybe most around you. And you have lots of sin in your past, big sins in your past. And you're tempted to think that your sins are so great and they were so terrible that you wonder, can I really be a Christian? You think lots of people know me. They know the sins that I committed way back when. Maybe even just a year ago. And if my old friends saw me today, they would be thinking, really? You're a Christian? Don't You used to do X and Y and Z. You really think God can use somebody who sinned that badly, that egregiously? But Paul's story is proof that God does and can use the worst sinners for his purposes. 
He created Paul and he saved Paul for a purpose and he saved you for a purpose. And it does not matter if you've grown up in a Christian household and you came to saving faith at a very young age and God spared you from lots of things that could have happened. Or if it took you 40 or 50 years to finally get your life sorted out with God. God can save big sinners, young sinners, it doesn't matter. And if we have a right view of sin, we would know that all of our sin is damning before God and our righteousness comes from Christ alone. Not from our good works. Even though Paul repented and he came to do great things for God, it is not, it is not his good works of preaching the gospel. It is not him being a missionary that redeemed him in the kingdom of God. It is the work of Christ dying on the cross for Paul and his sin that made him right with God. And it is the same for all of us. Some of you are embarrassed to talk about your faith to your family or your old friends because they remember very clearly what your life was like before Christ. But the fact that God can save someone as bad as you isn't something that you need to be ashamed about. Instead, it's something you should praise God for. Instead of thinking, well, people are just going to think that my past is too bad, I've just done too many things. They know too much about me. You should be thankful that God can save someone as bad as you. And you should be happy to share it with others. That God can save the worst sinners because God can save your friends too that were doing the very same things along with you. You can go to them. Say, yeah, I know I was into that last year. I know I used to go to those places. I know I used to do those things. But that's not me anymore. God saved me. I'm not perfect. I still stumble at times. But God is really changing me in real significant ways, and he can do that for you too. And then we get to verse 24. This is one of my favorite passages. Paul says, And they glorified God because of me. Now, this isn't a verse to say that Paul's saying, hey, look how awesome I am. I'm so great that people praise God because of me and my work. I'm a big shot celebrity pastor. People are amazed by the size of my ministry. I've traveled so many places. Look at me and praise God because of me. No, that's not the context and the meaning of what Paul is saying when he says this. And P.S., Side note, you should be careful to praise men. I'm very thankful for many men that God has used over the past century. Lots of men have done good work over the past 50 years, but some of the celebrity worship that you see on social media is gross and terrible, and you should have nothing to do with it. Many of you know that we were planted from a mega church in Chicago with a big celebrity pastor. And you know the mess that that caused. And so you'll understand if we're a little more cautious about celebrity pastors around here. But do not praise men. Do not be amazed by men. Men are nothing. God uses weak men to do great things. We give thanks to God for his work through sinful men. But there's a fine line between honoring men and worshiping men. And people cross it far more often and they think. 
If you spend any time on social media and Christian circles, you'll see, even among good men that, are, that we respect and love, the way that they talk about their celebrity pastors is just gross. For instance, I'm, I'm very thankful for John MacArthur. He's been a faithful pastor in many ways. Many of you know that we have some significant disagreements. But if you go on social media and say anything about that, just it's like this fan club comes and just attacks everybody. And it's just gross. As if a man and his pastor can't sin. So it's not just, you know, these immature Christians that worship their celebrity pastors. It can be any of us. And be careful about it. I remember when our church fellowship fell apart. You know, so Harvest Bible Chapel had fired James McDonald, who was the pastor there. And so the fellowship kind of disbanded of churches, and so they were looking to start a new fellowship of churches, and we were trying to figure out our way, and what, what were we going to do as a Bloomington Bible Church? And so we went to a couple meetings, and they were discussing what this new fellowship would look like, and, and many of the pastors were convinced, sort of good men in lots of ways, but they were convinced that they needed a catalytic leader, is what they would call it, for their movement. Because they had been so successful before having a, a big name like James McDonald be the face of this fellowship. And it was the cringiest thing to listen to. You just felt sick listening to these men. And I believe it was primarily because we felt like we were saying, we need an impressive man for everybody to look at so they can be impressed with us. Because God's not impressive enough on his own, we need a good speaker who everybody loves and adores and will bow down to. Now, obviously, they wouldn't agree with those words, but they certainly have it felt. But that's not what Paul's doing. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what's required. God wants faithful men leading his church. He's not interested in sharing his glory with anybody else. And when we start wowing and ooing and aahing at celebrity pastors, God often lets those ministries fall to pieces because he is not interested in giving, a part, giving any part of his glory to another man or another church. Do not glorify man because of God. Glorify God because of his work through men. There's a fine line of that, and it's easy to cross for some of you. But it's incredibly important to keep this straight because, as I've said, God's not going to share his glory for another. But there's more to verse 24. Verse 24 is one of the, those verses that should kind of be like a life verse for you. Every Christian should want verse 24 to be true of themselves. Live life, live life as a faithful Christian. Live faithful to Christ. Live a simple life that honors God. Play whatever role that God has created for you. Whether that's a big role, whether you're the pointer finger in the body of Christ, 
or whether that's a small roll. You're just a strand of hair on the head that nobody notices individually. Doesn't matter. Work faithfully. And people will look at your life and they will see the power of God to save someone and use someone like you and they will praise God because of you. Not because you're so often awesome, but because God is amazing to redeem and change a life so much the way that he saved you. Church, God has saved you for good works. He's called you and he's chosen you from before the foundations of the world. He has a job for you to do. Don't think, well, I've just been so bad that I... I can't really be of help to the kingdom of God. Paul was worse than you. And God used him. So stop telling God that he can't use you because you're too bad. Live your life faithfully. Be faithful in the small things. Honor God with your life. And people will praise your Savior because of the good works that God uses you for. Make verse 24 one of your goals for your life. Live a life in order that people will praise God because of you. This is what God has called you to do. And this is our hope. You can stand for prayer. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you would save us and that you would allow us to play any part in this because we know how terrible our sins were. We know that we didn't deserve anything, and yet somehow by your grace, you opened our eyes, you came to us, you made our heart alive, and you gave us the gift of faith. We didn't deserve this. We couldn't have worked off this debt, but we praise you that we are free in Christ that our sins are forgiven, that we are children of God. Father, we want to live lives so that verse 24 can be true of us. Help us be faithful in the things that you've told us to do and the good works that you've created us for. God, would people in our church and outside of our church praise you because of the work that you do through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.